Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Libraries podcast. My name is Dan. And I'm Alexis. And today we're joined by Sheffield's own ex-MEP, City Councillor and Lord Mayor Majid Majid. Majid's book, The Art of Disruption, is both a memoir of his time as Lord Mayor and MEP, but also a call to action, a manifesto for the change that he believes the world desperately needs. Now, as City Council officers, Alexis and I can't state our support or otherwise for anything party political that Majid might say. But as librarians, I think we'd both urge you to read the book. You might not agree with everything in it, but that doesn't really matter. Those calls for compassion, equality and representation may not be your cup of tea, but to understand an argument means we can better challenge it or support it. And in a democracy, that can only be a good thing. Please be aware that there is a little bit of fruity language contained in this episode. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy it. Majid, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Quite excited. It's great to have you here. Uh, I thought we'd just begin by, uh, well, right. So you are an ex-MEP, an ex-City Councillor, ex-Lord Mayor of Sheffield. In the unlikely event that the people listening to this actually haven't heard of you, I think they could be forgiven for thinking, okay, so this is just another one of these establishment figures, you know? But, because the reality is quite different. So I thought it'd be... It'd be good if maybe you could just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your your sort of background, really, and and your journey. Well, and okay, I'll keep it very brief. And so, uh, my name is Majid. I was born in Somalia. Came to Sheffield when I was five years. With my family, moved to Burngreave, and we came as refugees in 1994. And grew up in Sheffield. Went to school in Sheffield. Ended up going to university, studied aquatic zoology, came, got involved in student politics at university, even though it wasn't political, uh, politics, but then came back to Sheffield. And then I guess there was just so much happening and, and there was so much rhetoric of fear, hate and division. I thought to myself with everything that was happening, if I can at least make my small part of the world, my Sheffield, my community that bit better, that's at least me having a, playing a positive role. So I decided to find out what, local democracy was, how local decisions are made, got and joined, joined the Green Party, stood to be a councillor and where I lived in Broomhill, Broomhall and Charavale, got elected, put myself forward for Lord Mayor, was Lord Mayor of Sheffield and then last year we had the European elections even though we weren't meant to have the European elections and then I guess it was just a case of I just refused to except that the future authors of our country were people like Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson. So I just thought there was a better, more hopeful story to tell, I guess, where we are all the protagonists, some capacity. So then I decided to run as a member of European Parliament and for Yorkshire and Humber got elected. And, and then that was that basically. And now I'm just doing other, lots of other kind of exciting things, working on climate justice projects and across Europe and working with the Arts University in Amsterdam. So yeah, just doing different things. But and I guess in a very brief nutshell, that's kind of things. Uh, that's kind of more, more than most people achieve in a lifetime. Yeah. In, in two minutes, that's <laughs> pretty impressive. Um, cool. And, and it's pretty unlikely, isn't it? I mean, you kind of just skimmed sort of over everything there, but coming to Sheffield as a refugee, becoming Lord Mayor, becoming a member of European Parliament, that's... 
is pretty special. Yeah, it's, I guess it's also, it was just a case of it was, um, I just giving back, especially giving like the role of the Lord May was a great opportunity because for me, it was giving back to a city that's given me and so many people and so much. But at the same time, I'd be lying if I said it, it was achieved through hard work alone. As we all know, hard work, I don't there's never enough, there needs to be opportunities. Like that's why like, I'm thankful for my mother who made sacrifices, friends who grounded me, people of Sheffield for putting their faith in me. So it was, yeah, it's just a lot of things to be grateful for. And I guess one of the things you learn quite early on in politics is that you don't do, you can't do things by yourself. You do need the support of so many and other people. And also it's just, it's once you have got a role and you've kind of achieved it, it's what you do with it that counts kind of thing. Cause it would have been all great to be like, hey, look at me, I'm the Lord Mayor or I mean, peace is not quite cool without bringing people with me on the journey or kind of giving people other opportunities. So I'd always try and like, I'd have like a group of 10 young people I'm always mentoring at a time. Like even when I remember when I got elected as a councillor, um, I was the only, the only black person in Sheffield City Council. And then I kind of was like, it's how can I support other people from minority backgrounds to get elected? So I made sure the next following year, and I support and I got and Kultum Rivers to stand and to get elected as a great and as a councillor as well. And it's just about it's I guess giving back and and as much as possible as well. Yeah, I think that came came really oh, came through really strong in, in, in the book how uh, kind of the the end point wasn't about getting elected. Mm. The end point is sort of way in the future, it's about using that position to then actually really make some changes. Um, mm. But let's let's talk about the Lord Mayor role because I think I've spoken to loads of people about 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 you and about Lord Mayors um, sort of over the last couple of years, and lots of those people didn't know Sheffield even had a Lord Mayor before you were Lord Mayor. Mm. So, I mean, what what does the Lord Mayor do? What was your what was a typical day? Yeah, so there's two roles and so, um, role of Lord Mayor. So it's, it's quite, it's a very archaic role. They used to call them aldermen's. It's like I was a 122nd Lord Mayor of Sheffield. And main two roles are, so mainly it's you've got your council meetings. So the Lord Mayor, I guess, chairs the full council meetings, but also and decides and agrees on the agenda of the council meeting and as well. And then the other side of it is that you're the first citizen of Sheffield. So you're the main ambassador and of Sheffield. And I guess, yeah, it's a lot of people and I get, I, I heard the same thing where a lot of people didn't know and Sheffield had a Lord Mayor or who the previous Lord Mayor or whatever was. And I think that's just because I guess the role of the Lord Mayor has, in my opinion, been so redundant and I guess kind of been out of touch for a long for many, many years. And therefore people kind of just didn't really know the significance of it or know what the potential of it, of, of, of the role was. And therefore people didn't really engage with it. And I guess it's like, it's a two way, like if the Lord Mayor his office isn't engaging with people because as what was interesting was it's I remember like just looking at the calendars uh, diaries of the previous Lord Mayors and they would always do the same thing they'd always go to the same events do the same thing and that was because the people that would get in touch with them was people that knew how the system worked how to get in touch with the Lord Mayor and it was easy comfortable for them whereas like I it, a lot of time it took me having to reach out to people and in all honesty just because a lot of time people like and I guess through and gaining a lot of media coverage and doing what I was doing, I was exposed to a lot more people and therefore more different people kind of getting in touch and I was doing different things. But um, it's such an amazing role. And I guess for me, it was always like it's, 
bringing people along. So like, for example, the Lord Mayors and if I was married to a woman and she'd be the Lady Mayoress, if I was married to a bloke, he'd be the uh, Lord Mayor's consorts. If I, was, if I had a girlfriend at the time, she'd be the Lord Mayor's escorts. That just goes to show how like old fashioned it is basically. But for me, it was just a case of I didn't want and the same person with me all the time because that might be a bit boring. But <laughs> I wanted to really just and bring people. So like I would literally just invite people, whether that be through social media or through call-outs, and I'll just bring people with me to different events. And I just make them feel like they were part and that this role was for them and they kind of felt like they had a stake in it. Even just inviting people to public events like coming to cinema with me or whatever it was kind of thing. And it was just important that people felt like the Lord Mayor was, I don't know, like it was, they, they had a stake in it more, more than anything else. And you were, you were really busy, weren't you? I mean, you were all over the place all the time. It was like, I had to like, the sad, one of the difficult things, I had to decline 90, 90% of invites. Wow. That's just because like, I just couldn't be everywhere all the time. And it was like, also, how do you, um, how do you decide which one to say no to? And for me, like, one of the things was it's, if it's if like if the Lord Mayor's previously had is it if it was always an event that the previous Lord Mayor's went to, then I wouldn't go to. Of course, there's exceptions like Remembrance Sunday and all that sort of stuff like mm -hmm. the main events. But a lot of other things I would kind of make sure I was just engaging with people, or organizations, or communities that might have not. And and you know it was always weird. Like I'll be honest with you, like I just I especially was like, why do people care so much? <laughs> weird way. And then I'd be like. And I'll kind of get that. And I just, at times I felt like Santa Claus. Because I, I just, people would just be so excited. And I remember like, why are you so excited? But then I guess I understand why. But then by seeing them so excited, I'd get really, really excited, regardless of how much of a bad day I was having or what it was. <laughs> just by seeing people really excited, I'd be like, oh my God, it's excited. Well, so, I remember. So I remember you come to Central Library. We, um, we had a, an awards evening. It was for an adult literacy project that we were running. I remember it very well. Yeah, you had a film crew following you, which was <laughs> was quite weird. And we like, okay, I've never seen that before. But yeah, I mean, kind of since the Lord Mayor comes into the room, it lights it up. I mean, it turns it into something which is really special for those those people that are there, you know, picking up their certificate and whatnot. So yeah, there's magic to it. It really, it, it, it definitely is. And I guess it's like, it's one of the privileges I'll be honest, of and taking the role of Lord May, just because you do bring so much joy into people. Even like, and, and when people are basically getting naturalized and they're getting the British citizenship ceremonies, that again, it's a really joyous occasion. Mm -hmm. in, in like I even got invited to, I even walked people down the aisle. Like that was, <laughs> but again, it was just like, you just get like it's just like being part of so many people's joyous like the sometimes at the best moments of their life is just a privilege and, and in all honesty i think that was something you really cultivated as well was that feeling of being one of the people one of us you you kind of identified and related to everybody and and i think people really did engage with you as lord mayor because of that you know you were the youngest first black lord mayor you know it's just fantastic how much you brought to the role, how much difference you brought to the role that we hadn't had before. And I think people really engaged with that. Yeah, definitely. So especially at the beginning, they were like in terms of um, like the civic office and, and like the council, they weren't that too favourable of it, to be honest, just because they were mm. like, 
I guess a lot of times people are scared of change more than anything. Absolutely, yeah. And and I remember like like I'd be like um because I guess one of the things is you, you get a chauffeur as well and you know the bizarre thing, but like it's I remember um like one of like council officers saying you can't stop and give people lifts. I'm like listen like if I'm the lot like I'm like it's a lot of times I I, I do what I want in in, in all honesty of course with, within reason but it's I but like, listen. If I'm going past the like going to the city center from where, wherever I am, and I there's somebody at the bus stop, and I offer them if they want to come out, like that is my prerogative, and it's is what it is. But a lot of times people say, "Oh, that's against protocol," or you, you you're breaking tradition, or you can't do it. And I was just like it was just and at times, especially at the beginning, I was like, "Have I got this wrong?" Like it's like my you start doubting yourself, but then within the first couple, we just seen so much support from so many people like not even just in Sheffield but across everywhere else to be honest and that really kind of filled me with a lot of hope and confidence to kind of continue and what I was doing and just not to accept the naysayers. Cool let's talk about the book um so the book is written in 10 chapters each one giving you a personal take on Sheffield's 10 commandments can you tell us a bit more about those 10 commandments and how they came about? So it was um, Tramlines Festival 2018 got in touch and they were like, I imagine like we've got this big kind of billboard and like you can have whatever you want on it. Just just let us know. And I, I just like, I was like, I've absolutely no idea. And then I had a couple of hours to get back to them. And then it was I was like, all right, it's, it's the 10th year anniversary, something around 10. And then I was like, oh, Sheffield's Ten Commandments. Like, What would it be? And of course, they're not exclusive to Sheffield. They're quite universal. And as a, and then it, that's basically just what I came up with, and at the time, and and I guess it's um, some of them are tongue in cheek, but I guess a lot of people can relate to a lot of them. And I, I remember at the festival, and and the festival, and organizers said that it was the most photographed thing at the festival was the ten, uh, ten commandments. And then you had like like I just remember like being like BBC News were doing a Vox box saying is it appropriate for the Lord Mayor to. So I guess it's like it, it's definitely sparked a conversation, and it got people and um, talking about it, and whether they thought it was inappropriate or whether they loved it at the same time. But I think it definitely resonated with people, and so I guess once I had the opportunity to to write a book, I guess I was just trying to think of like, I guess some sort of like ethos and values and how can, how I can underpin my thoughts and feelings and what I'd learned, and that literature was the perfect and kind of 10 is the broad enough kind of key theme areas that enabled me to kind of explore it in a bit more detail and so yeah then that kind of was like became the backbone of the book yeah I think although the book the book is obviously heavily political in a lot of senses it also felt very much like a book that anybody could read and use almost not I don't want to say self-help book because it's not a self-help book it very much has those kind of this is what you can do in any aspect of your life it doesn't have to be about politics you know if you want to change yourself or your life or make things happen this book will help you with that and and I really liked that about it yeah no you're 100% right for me it was important for the book to be accessible yeah I guess with a lot of like politics we can be like it's become me a bit too distant at times and it kind of so for me just like whether you were directly involved in politics or you were just a layman or whatever it is it was just important that people took something that there was a takeaway from the book in in, in every chapter and uh, to be honest so that's why I guess it's 
I just wrote it and they were there just to kind of make sure as many people benefited or kind of just learned something from it. Mm. Yeah, I definitely yeah, think that's nailed across. it. Yeah. So are you gonna ask about the buses? Alexis? Yeah, 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 I am. So the first, what, I don't know if it was the first commandment, but the do epic shit commandment, I love that. Um, so you've traveled around a fair bit, Africa, South America, EU mm. Parliament, Hull, um, I loved how passionately you talked about the buses in Sheffield because uh, somebody used to catch the bus all the time and I had a conversation with a lady with a roast chicken on her lap once. Um, those connections that we have with just people, obviously the story you told about Dolores and your, your conversations that you had with her and the friendship you built with her as well was just really lovely. Um, so how has that travel and those connections that you've made um, helped you see the world differently or has it shaped you in any way? Definitely, like 100%, it's definitely shaped and affected who I am. I guess through, just like, even like, just by virtue of just meeting different people and exchange, it's that, mainly it's that exchange of stories, that exchange of cultures, just that exchanging of whatever it is that kind of just enables us to see the world or experience the world in so many different ways than we may not have otherwise if we basically just kept ourselves to ourselves and didn't really uh, know much. So, Every time I guess I've traveled, like I've like been to different parts of the world, it's definitely I've come back a different person, but for the better, I guess, because my worldview has expanded and a lot more. And a lot of the time it's the people that I meet. It's not so much like the environment, of course, like this the world is beautiful in so many different ways, and it's just epic to see lots of different things. But just it's it's the people, it's that human interaction for me that kind of I get the most and from, and in, in some way, like it's just like the buses and especially like with um, Dolores, it was just, again, like it's, I guess, especially with that instance, it's just, you never really know and um, the impact that you can have on other people of, of that others can have on you. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, like some, some of the most smallest thing just by saying hello, or say I can have like profound and um, impact on others, but like it's 100%, it's, it's, it's definitely it's like because I remember I used to um have you heard of couch surfing? <laughs> so there's like a social I hadn't heard of it until I read till I read the book and wow that's a thing okay. that's amazing. So, <laughs> it's, it's like think of Facebook. Say no, think of Airbnb merged with Facebook, but it's a it's called couch surfing and it's basically it's a hospitality sharing it like kind of uh, thing. So whenever I would travel, I remember especially like when I was in, I just used to like like I had two gay people, two gay couple, lovely, picked me up from the airport in Brazil, never been to Brazil before. They've never met me before. Yes, you have a profile and you've got testimonials and references. And I had none at the time and they just welcomed me with open arms. Amazing. What the heck? <laughs> when I was in Sheffield, um, I didn't talk about it in the book, but I used to like, <laughs> random fact, um, I used to live in a nursing home in Sheffield. Oh, wow. <laughs> But hear me out for a second. <laughs> this is exclusive, old... everyone. <laughs> so there was no old people living in the uh, nursing home. So what it was, it was, okay, have you heard of property guardianships? Hmm. Okay, so basically, and when a big property, whether that be school, an office, whatever it is, is no longer in use, the owners have to protect that property of arson or whatever it is, right? So normally they will hire a security company to protect the site that costs a lot of money. Yeah. 
property guardianship companies step in and say, listen, you don't have to pay any money. We will just secure that. We will secure the site for you. And then the property guardianship company rent it out. So you have sometimes people living in schools or whatever, just by virtue of living that you're securing the site. So and you know, it's not like you're patrolling or anything like that. So I lived in a 65 bedroom nursing home in um, Broom Hill, right? Wow. And it was basically me and three other friends. And we were basically just living in this, it was like a residential base and like it had rooms that like it was built for residential purposes anyway. So you can imagine how massive it was. Sounds like Buckingham Palace. Yeah, yeah like maybe you're that establishment figure after all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, so basically, I then was like, I'm just going to just invite different people to stay. So then I used to people from all around the world and couch surfing, then Sheffield, just to come and literally they have their own keys, they have their own bedroom, everything done. And it was I just like, I must have hosted like 40 people and obviously wow. like and a year and a half that I was living there. So it was just like, yeah, it was again, even though I was still in Sheffield, I'd, I was just meeting different people from different parts of the world and they'd always bring different things or we'd have, we'd cook together. And it was just like, fair enough, I may not be traveling the world, but at least I can bring mm. the world and, and to Sheffield. But anyway, they, they sold the property at the end and it's now like a really, they've like redeveloped and it's like a really fancy nursing home. At the moment. And you were the first hotelier of that nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But so, you know, the sad thing was, it's like the reason it closed down was one of the nurses accidentally killed one of the residents in there. So then it meant that um, it had a bad reputation. It was just losing, like people weren't staying there anymore. And then they had oh, wow. hit the last couple of people and then it was derelict for like, and, and then they had to protect the site. And then that's why I kind of just yeah. and took it on and then eventually now it's a proper nice nursing home i think there's kind of kind of a bit of a theme about doing things a little bit different here and that that's one yeah. of the chapters as well and one of the commandments do it differently uh, and that is a perfect example yeah. um i mean the whole lord mayor thing you're doing it differently deliberately so mm. can we talk about donald trump yeah, in that yeah, context because you know quite a good day for it really exactly it? for, for our listeners out there it's the first week of november you may be listening to this a little bit later but you know the americans are about to uh, to go and vote so let's talk about donald Trump. <laughs> yeah so do you know so do you know every month i used to um i guess i knew before i well just when i was becoming lord made that i wanted to do i guess a a creative monthly campaign of some sort that what involved and me talking and campaign on different issues every month. So like in like in in June, it, it was and about migrants. July was Donald Trump. Like January was NHS. November was an anti-war. So it was just had a different theme every month. I would campaign on, and I would take like just I would take pictures of me squatting inside the town hall. And I think why? What is it with the squat? Why would you squat, right? And so basically, the way this started was it's when my inaugural inauguration photo and went viral of me squatting like inside the balance of the town. I remember it well. And then all of a sudden I just had so many people from all around the world sending me pictures of them squatting. <laughs> like what? So at least I had people like like Sahara Desert sending pictures of me squatting there in California, wherever so many people just squatting. I just kept getting inundated with pictures of people squatting and then it was like and the only reason I squatted on the balance was to gain balance, if I'm being honest. And when Chris was taking the picture, I was like, at least I'm I like, I probably don't want to fall so let me, because it was a, like, 
like Alan Potential to actually die if I was to fall off. That it's tank. really high, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and so presumably thought, marble floors as well. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, let me just gain my balance, but also just to let people know. So there's a room in the town hall called the ante room, A N T E room, right? It's a room before I and Lord Mayor goes into the um, chamber, and it's got these portraits of all the Lord Mayors since 18 something something, right? And for me, they were all so uniformed, right? They all look the same. And for me, I just remember thinking to myself, how amazing would it have been if every Lord Mayor just, because that picture's going to outlast you once you're dead. Right? It's like, and in terms of what people see of you in your time, it's that picture because people might not read up on what the Lord Mayor was doing 90 years ago kind of thing, right? but they will see that picture because it's on show. So I kind of really took that as a really significant picture. And I'm just thinking, how amazing would it have been if every Lord Mayor through their portrait kind of told a story of their time or what they did. And when people was to walk in, they would have at least got a glimpse or a feeling of some sort of what that Lord Mayor's time was. So for me, that's, I guess, why I kind of just wanted to, again, do my portrait a bit differently to the and other people, even though it was at the distraught of some of the council staff that thought I was basically just taking the piss and ruining things. I mean, that's how then that picture kind of came back. But then anyway, long story short, so I, I had this monthly campaign where I would take a, I would take a monthly picture and I would release a picture like just before the full council meeting. And it always be me and with a, t with a black t-shirt with white text with a, like a campaign slogan or a message on it, right? And then I'd always wear a different hat for every full council meeting. And I'd always wear a different pair of dot and white. And blue. So it became a thing in the council chamber, like, what hats Madge is going to wear now? <laughs> but it was just, I don't know, just the kind of like, so I guess the idea was I wanted 12 pictures at the end of my term of me squatting somewhere inside the town hall with 12 different hats. I guess it had some significance to what I like, what I was doing. And I guess with the pictures, well, there was a lot of different props and lots of different things. So there's a lot of, it took a lot of effort and choreography just to try to basically do it. And then I remember in July, it was when the government and Theresa May I guess was rolling the red carpet out for Donald Trump, who is proven, who is known to be a racist, a misogynist, and so many other things. And I guess like representing Sheffield, which is such a rich, diverse culture, where we welcome people from all parts of the world and we're not banning people from Muslim countries or calling African countries shit mm. or everything that is. And so for me, it was, I guess, while all the other kind of leaders across the UK was just happy and excited for him to come out, I just was like, yeah, like, I guess in, in, in some fashion, in the way he would also, like, kind of tweet. So, like, it was very, like, I imagine, imagine, yeah, 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 he by It was kind of basically kind of, like, taking the piss out of him. At the same time, so this is, like, his, his band from the great city of Sheffield. The thing is, was he going to come to Sheffield on his way on, on his way past Rotherham and Doncaster? Probably not. But it was, like, the significance of saying, listen, he's not welcome in Sheffield. That really resonated with so many people, not just in the UK, but across the world. Because I guess for a lot of people, it was rare to see a political leader or just someone in that well, just to say, no, he's not, he's banned from Sheffield the same way he bans other people. So everyone was like, what the heck? And I kind of like, um, so like, just to kind of give you like an example of how things work in the council chamber, there's a lady called the Mace Bearer. Well, in my case, it was a lady. Her name's Julie Wilson, lovely lady. She's got this massive golden mace, which is... Like it's like a golden mace, as like a weapon mace, and no council decisions can be made without that mace being present in the council chamber. So she would basically have it on her shoulder, and she would walk in front of me, and she'll shout, 
all upstanding for his right worshipful first citizen, breaker of chains. I'm joking, shouldn't say breaker of chains. <laughs> Should be like, and then everyone would basically like stand up. And so I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, are you actually going to walk in that council chamber with a sombrero on a t shirt that says Donald Trump's a waste man and chair the full council meeting? Because that's how I would chair the full council. So I was like, and then she'd want to kind of just walk in and I'd be like, please be seated. And I'd just get serious right into the agenda, like what we planned and it was perfectly fine. And then as soon as that tweet kind of went out, it was like during the council meeting, there was like every major broadcaster was kind of getting in touch. Like I remember like there was a bit of a flurry in the council. And then I remember like the head of Boeing was get, say, getting in touch saying it was in a problem. Then like the US ambassador was commenting. Then I like, it was just, it was just so much things happened at the same time. And then even, even at the council meeting, people said, Oh, you should take the tweet down. I said, no, like I fully kind of, but it was like, it was just like, and then I guess that was the first time where there was like the council really kind of realized that there was a real um, power battle of some sense in the sense of like, and that's where a lot of like the like barrier, like difficulties I had with the council came from because it's, they realized how can one person have, I guess, not soft power, shall we say, can that much media kind of do so much like create so much and more than our comms team and our council put together and i guess that's when they realized i was a threat to them more right? and then even though as much time that honestly be like guys let's work together let's let's like and it was they were never interested and you know like honestly like and i, I don't want to paint of course all the council because 99 of them are amazing top people but it was like those people in senior positions because i'd have council officers that'd be like Mind you, we really want to kind of get involved and support you on this campaign stand, but we've specifically been told not to get involved with anything you're doing, which was, I guess, a massive shame because there was so much more that we could have done together. Honestly, even if it was a case, if I had this, just if I had the same support as the previous Lord Mayors, that would have been amazing. But the amount of time that I'd asked for like media support, press, whatever it was, it was just completely ignored every single time. And I guess for them, it was a way to like dampen or kind of silence what I was doing. Like so much, I remember they just, at one point, they kind of had had enough, so they tried to change the constitution, which of the Lord role of the Lord Mayor, which has never been done in its hundred twenty whatever year existence, just to kind of rein me in and whatnot. So they proposed a motion, and I guess they just got so embarrassed and they just realized they didn't have the votes. They tried to pull it back, and it kind of just in the council, and it just kind of fell flat, and it was just it it, it, it was ridiculous, and and you know, wow. and yeah. So that's how the Donald Trump thing came about. So we, and, and when all that's going on around you, I mean, are you thinking, hang on, have I kind of taken it too far? Or are you actually thinking, yeah, actually, this is, this is actually making a difference. Is this fueling you? Yeah, do you know, great question. You know, a lot of, I just don't, I'm not, I don't expect, I'm not prepared or I just don't know what's going to happen. I want like, I love it. I was just like, I'm, of course I'm a bit overwhelmed. I'm just like, shit, like, like what is going on? I'm trying to just trying to, play catch up and uh, most of the time to be honest but at the same time it's like it's I do like I have I have all sorts of thoughts running from my head I'm like have I like like was this the right thing to do was you know but I guess I do everything first and foremost with the best of intentions and I before I do everything it's kind of calculated and in to some degree anyway so I do everything with my chest and I'm like I do everything with conviction so I don't really doubt myself and I'll just be like I know there's going to be some difficulty and there's going to be some barriers, but it's all temporary anyway. And it's like, just keep pushing kind of thing. Wow. It's, I mean, despite all that going on, I think the, um, 
it's a really hopeful book as well. And even when it gets a bit crazy, boy, it's kind mm. of, um, that really comes through. It's a book full of optimism. Yeah. Um, and kindness as well. I think that was something that, and, and about starting conversations, I think that was something that was really key throughout the book was how you, people don't have to agree with what you're saying or have to, or you don't have to agree with them, but you're entitled to your opinion, they're entitled to their opinion, but it's about um, opening your horizons and having conversations and opening up conversations. And that was something that really stood out in the book for me in particular, which I loved. 100%. So like it's, I remember um, the local paper, the Star newspaper in the letter section, like every other day, there'd always be a negative. Somebody would write something. And I remember just getting in touch with Nancy Fielder and who's the chief editor of the Star. And we kind of said, let's get some of these people. Let's just generally have a conversation rather than just writing like negative letters. And it was just like, so I'm all like, I genuinely believe in having conversa a conversation regardless mm. of how difficult they can be. Because it's if we're not engaging in some capacity, it's just, we're just going to be holding on, but it's not going to like, it's, 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 it's we're not going to find any commonality whatsoever if we're just going to remain apart, have our own beliefs whether they're rightly or right or wrong, and it's just, there's no progress that kind of comes with that. So I remember just meeting up with a couple of them and I managed to win some of them over, but there was one specific person that we just was like, regardless of why I said I would always be a prick, like regardless of whatever it's, I guess it's some of them just realized, I guess they had the understanding of why I was doing what I was doing with like, talked about stuff that we had more in common. And it was just, honestly, it, it, it was quite nice. But the reality of it is, is in all our lives, it's we're gonna encounter people who may not hold our beliefs. Some people might be racist, and that could even be our own friends and family, kind of thing at times. So it's important to at least, rather than avoiding those conversations, even by virtue of discussing and having a conversation about it, at least, I always think like, even regardless of what my own person believes, I always want to speak to people who have opposing views, just because yeah. do two things, either it'll, reaffirm my belief which will great for me or it'll enlighten me and i'll be like and i'll have like i'll chairman which is a massive plus in itself but i guess if we're just not willing to and um, accept that we could be wrong as humans or we're not willing to kind of speak to other people who have opposing views we'll never learn and i think it's we always have to go in with the mind of learning from others even if, wherever the circumstances is or at least you might learn why they have those views or how they've come to that understanding. Mm. So, um, yeah. I've always been um, in favour of just, I think it's just, it's only positive that can come from it. Yeah. I think sometimes, yeah, the problem with, well, one of the things that turns people off politics, especially young people, they look at the likes of Westminster or wherever, and they see you know, party politics, these guys at each other's throats, and there's not actually a conversation going mm. on. It's point scoring, but it's not, it's not the conversation that you're talking about. 100% is, is theatrics, uh, especially at um, PMQ's Prime Minister's Questions on Wednesdays. And it's interesting enough, when they actually designed um, um, the House of uh, Parliament, like and the dispatch boxes where they speak from, it's two sword lengths apart. So they couldn't like kill each other or anything like that. So it's designed to kind of keep apart. But it's like, if you look at like a lot of other kind of parliaments across the world, it's in a circular motion. So it's kind of more like you're all facing each other. Whereas as it's literally drawn like a battle line, kind of facing. So I think the way by virtue of how it's designed creates that atmosphere. 
But it's like, yeah, it's, if you're a young person, even if you're abroad and you kind of see like, you ever to tune into PMQs for the first time, you're like, what the heck is this kind of thing? And I don't think it's representative of, of what democracy or what politics should be in the UK. But that being said, politics is so toxic and, and in all honesty, at the moment, there's so much things that are completely wrong with it. And we, we love to like in the UK bang on about democracy. And you have to question if it's actually true democracy that we've got in the UK. For me, it's more of a hypocrisy more, more than anything else. But I think like a, a lot of young people, a lot of people look at that and say, well, first and foremost, that's not the sort of thing I want to campaign on. I thought politics would be, or they look at that and see it like, like the people in government is, like if we look at, what that be? I guess local politics and national politics, the people that we elect to be our leaders don't reflect the people that they are there to represent. So when you get like, if you look at the government cabinet, for example, who are, and majority of them come from a similar background, similar class, majority of them millionaires, and yet they're making decisions that affect everybody in the UK. And if you're a young person from BME background or working class background for them, and you to see politics, you'd be like, I don't come from this background that I, that, though that role is not meant to be for people like myself. So it does put you off and uh, politics or even getting involved in politics. You know, and that's something that really fundamentally needs to change something that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and we, do you think we fixed that? Couple of ways. I, I reckon we just like, first and foremost is, I guess education plays a big part in it, if, in, in all honesty. Because the thing is, if you go to like an Eton or any private school, they teach you about um, politics. They teach you about activism, democracy. They even teach you about rhetoric, the power of how you convince other, other, other people and, and your points. And that's because they are expected to be the next leaders of, of, of the country because that's their birthright. Whereas if you go to a comprehensive school, that's not part of the curriculum. So I think if we were to literally change our curriculum to ensure that like people are engaging with civil society and part from a young age, it'll not only guess get them participated at a young age so that means they'll have the habits set you know they'll be able to vote internals will be higher everything is but it'll also give them the ability to sift through all the bullshit that comes through the media and everything like that also if we were to change like the voting age 16 like you've seen it in like in scotland you're some other parts of europe and across the world and and uh, changing the voting age and to say young people aren't politically engaged or not all are inferior to all objects is complete nonsense also even like the voting system that's something like that would be revolutionary if we change i think the only other country that's got first past the post system is the vatican state which you know can't even argue is even a proper country but it's like is how can we give people a meaningful vote so they feel like their vote really counts towards something and and like it's we need to have some sort of proportional system where we have like a proportional voting system like all the other countries across Europe have and it's like and the reason why the UK won't change the reason why the Conservative or the Labour won't change it is because it serves them because it'll always keep it a two-horse race so a lot of times a lot of people just are only bothered about power 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 rather than doing what the right thing is so that fundamentally needs to change as well do you think with the, the likes of Greta Thunberg and um, and yourself as well that young people are engaging more with politics now and have you got any advice for anybody who might want to kind of make changes and, and be proactive and do things within their community? Yeah I think there's there's so many amazing young activists all across the country around mm. so many amazing things and you know I see and I think a lot of times it's like when I speak to a lot of young people it's just a case of 
like it's just they may not feel empowered well, they may not feel empowered to do empowered to do it because they think they can't make much of a change mm. and, but the reality is it's like one young person can make a lot of change as Greta Thunberg of course and showed but a lot of time it's, it's just and uh, giving young people the skills and the tools that they need and more than anything else but also just really empowering young people to say like yes you can make a difference like yes you've got the right to state your opinion and fight for what you believe in and it's amazing to see like like even like Fridays for the Future, like seeing the young climate strikes across the country, even in Sheffield. I remember thinking to myself, I was like, what was I doing when I was 14? I was just skiving off school and just getting <laughs> from doing nonsense, not thinking about the future of the planet and, and, and everything else, to be honest. So it's like, it's, it's massively amazing. I think it's, there's always something like, like even like, I guess it's just that like collective organizing and young people getting together and more than anything else. But also it's, you know, like, you, like, a lot of people say, I want to be a counsellor, but I don't think I'm, I'm good enough. I haven't got the right skills or the experience. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Honestly, you look at counsellors across the country, even in Sheffield, and you think to yourself, God, I know so many 16-year-olds that can do a better job than you. And it's like, honestly, it's just giving them the confidence and the belief that they can do it and they, that they have got what it takes. And because a lot of the time they kind of just see older people and be like, Oh look, like I just can't, like it's it's not for me. So I think like the more young people that we have involved in politics, the more it will kind of break that stigma and barriers. Yeah. What next for you? I mean, we we've got a few years till the next general election, but I had someone the other day saying, Oh, is, is Majid gonna be the uh is he gonna stand for parliament at some point? Do you know it's for me it's I've never really had a much of a career plan on anything like for me, I've always, I guess, take myself out of my comfort zone as long as I'm learning and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. But most importantly, as long as I feel like I'm having a positive contribution to others, I feel content, I'm happy what I'm doing. And the reality is you don't have to be a Lord Mayor, MEP, MP apology to bring about amazing changes. Like the, the people who I think are doing some of the most amazing things in the country abroad aren't even politicians. So there's a lot that we can all do. I guess every single one of us have got some degree of influence and platform to actually bring about change without being our own communities, national, whatever it is. But I guess in regards to myself, I absolutely have no idea is, is, is the honest answer. But I don't, I'm not, so, not going to rule anything out, but I'm, I'm content in what I'm doing at the moment. And even though I'm working in like um, some things outside, and outside I'm also like a trustee at... Um, City of Sanctuary in Sheffield, so I'm still grounded in Sheffield and working with our young people there as well. So it's yeah, I'll always be active. I'll always be playing an active role in society, and in in whatever in every shape or form. Brilliant. Well, you know, it, it was a great book. I really enjoyed well, reading it. Yeah. I, I was really inspired by it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, thank so. you very much, Andy. There's a lot of Sheffield references in there, just because it's absolutely yeah. It played such a big role, like in in my life. So it was like. That's why I guess I even dedicated the book to like, I dedicated it to um, yeah, my mum, Sheffield, as a, as a collective uh, whole as well, just because it's like, it's, I guess you are a product of your environment and I'm just thankful to grow up and be part of a city that is just amazing in so many ways. It felt like a love letter to Sheffield in some ways. It really, yeah, yeah. absolutely. In it's some ways, it definitely is, and, and in all honesty. And it's like, I guess even like Sheffield has had it, like for what history there's, I don't know if you read, uh, come across a book called The Troublemakers of Sheffield. Mm. Yeah, David Price. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's speaking. He's doing a live event for us in a few weeks. So you're the first person in our our, our rebel season of events. Oh, wow. So um, yeah, check him out. Check him out. He'll, yeah, uh, no, I definitely will do. So I just know that like for at Sheffield, like politicians always been amazing characters. Mm. Carpenter, like so many others, kind of thing. And I just think it's just to a testament, just of I don't know Sheffield as a whole, the fact that we do do things differently and we do kind of challenge status quo and it's like yeah it's and we we, we always try to fight on the side of justice for sure cool Majid thank you very much thank, thank you, you. it's been a real pleasure Our guest today was Majid Majid you can purchase his book The Art of Disruption from all good booksellers now you have been listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, the new place to hear authors discuss their work, to explore stories, fact and fiction that we think deserve to be shared. I hope you'll join us again.